Well, if you were here last week for the kickoff of this series through the tiny little four-chapter book of Jonah, you will remember that we started uh, by noticing the defection of Jonah the prophet. There's not another word for it, really. He was defecting from the work that God had called him to. God had given him a very clear command, and he simply refused to obey the command. And we acknowledged last week that this is our struggle sometimes as well, isn't it? God is very clear with us in his word. And sometimes, like Jonah, we just say, you know, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to obey you in that. And like Jonah, we, when we disobey the Lord in that regard, it really never turns out well for us. Jonah was given this command in verse number 2 of chapter 1, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Go to Nineveh and preach. And verse number 3 says that Jonah rose up not to go to Nineveh, but rather to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God said go this way, he went that way. God said go east, he went west. God said go uh, this direction, he went the opposite direction. And he goes, verse number three says, down to Joppa to board a ship that he might sail away to this this place called Tarshish. Now, by the way, Joppa was, during Jonah's day, the only port city in ancient Israel. So it's not surprising at all that he went to Joppa if he wanted to get on a boat. That is, in fact, where all of the boats were. We know that Joppa was there during the time of Jonah. In fact, we know that Joppa was there hundreds of years before Jonah lived. Ezra chapter 3 verse 7 mentions Joppa by name. And it tells us that it was at Joppa that Solomon received flotillas of cedar trees from Lebanon. They were floated down the coast of the Mediterranean and into the port at Joppa. And then those cedar trees were taken to Jerusalem where they were used in the construction of the temple. So we know that this was a common port that was often used. It still exists today, by the way. Joppa still exists in Israel. It's now been swallowed up by the massive city of Tel Aviv, with its millions of inhabitants that live there. But if you go there, you can go down to the the old port of, now it's called Jaffa instead of Joppa, but you can go there and see the ancient port. In fact, some of you have been there with me uh, as we've toured in Israel, and you'll remember this. I brought this picture because I thought it would be cute for you. That's, That's right in the heart of the old city, the old port city of Jaffa. And Jaffa is still remembered today as the place from which Jonah sailed away from God's will and into the mouth of the, of the fish. And they commemorate that by having that fountain there in the shape of a well uh, in the center of the city. Well, the Bible says that he went to Joppa and he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and he boarded the ship. Now, this ship, without really any question would have been a Phoenician merchant ship. The Phoenicians were mariners. They were in these days, they were the master sailors. They were the ones who could navigate and weather the storms that would come in the Mediterranean. And they sailed all over the Mediterranean and ports along the shores of the Mediterranean selling their wares. Everyone knew that the Phoenicians were the ones who could get you across the Mediterranean safely. And so it's with a lot of confidence 
that he gets onto this boat and he begins to sail down toward what we believe would have been a city at the tip of Spain. Well, chapter 1 and verse number 4 is where it really gets interesting. In fact, if there were a musical score to this text, in chapter 1, verse 4, the tones of the score would become very ominous and very solemn, and you would sense that something bad is about to happen. Or maybe you would hear this if there were a musical song to go along with this. The weather started getting rough. Tiny ship was tossed. <laughs> no, forget that. But the, the, the weather changes suddenly in verse number four. Why? Not because it was bad luck of a storm coming up, but the Bible tells us clearly in verse number four that the Lord sent out a storm. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, a storm in the sea. It was so bad that the ship was about to be broken. This is a bad storm. It's breaking the ship apart. In fact, the Bible tells us in verse number five about the severity of the storm when verse five says that the mariners were afraid and they cried out and they began to cast uh, out their wares. They began to lighten the load of the ship. These are the Phoenicians. If anybody can weather the storm, if anybody can navigate through this storm, it's the Phoenicians. And yet they're crying out in fear. Verse 11 tells us that the storm gets worse and worse. It's not getting any better. It continues to increase in severity. And verse number 13 says that the men rowed, the sailors rowed hard to bring the boat to land. But they couldn't for the sea was uh, turning, tossing against them, and it was tem uh, tempestuous against them. It is the storm that God sent to put the roadblock up in Jonah's running away from him. And by the way, when this storm comes on, Jonah is very honest with these sailors about why the storm has come. Verse number 12, he says to them, my bad, it's me. God sent this storm because of me, because I'm running from him. He's, in fact, he said to them in verse number 12, throw me overboard. If you'll get me off the ship, then the storm will stop because God has sent this storm for me. Well, these mariners are gracious to him. They don't want to throw him overboard. They try to navigate the storm, but they just can't do it. And so finally, in verse number 15, with every... Uh, option exhausted with these sailors exhausted from trying to navigate through the storm. They do the one thing that they think and hope will bring them some calm seas. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah. They took up Jonah and they cast him forth into the sea. Imagine this moment if you're Jonah. They, they're picking you up. Now they've tried everything. Now they're going to throw you overboard. I don't assume that he's protesting because he said to them, throw me overboard. This is what it's going to take. They pick him up and they toss him over the railing and he falls down into the sea. And look what verse 15 says. And immediately the sea ceased from her raging. Then those men, those mariners, feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and they made vows. Now I want you to stop reading in the text for a minute and I want you to insert yourself into the skin of Jonah. 
And I want you to imagine that you are Jonah bobbing around in the ocean now. The remnants of the storm are just in the distance. The clouds are receding. The the, uh, remaining flashes of lightning lighting up the surface of the ocean. The wind is beginning to die down. And you're just bobbing around out there. Maybe it'll help you up in your seat if you do this. You're just floating out in the ocean. And the ship that was to have taken you to your destination, the ship that was to have been your escape from what you thought was an unreasonable demand from God, the ship that was to take Jonah to the retirement village of the prophets and he was going to put his toes in the sand in Spain, that ship is now sailing off without him and he's bobbing around in the ocean. The Bible says that the waves are crashing over him and he's beginning to sink. And he's going down, down, down until verse 17. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And it did. And so Jonah was in the belly of the fish For three days and three nights. Now, by the way, you should know that chapter number one, verse number 17, is where the narrative portion of the book of Jonah stops and then it resumes in chapter two, verse 10. Look at that verse, chapter two, verse number 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So between chapter 1 verse 17 and chapter 2 verse 10 is a parenthesis. The narrative would have simply read like he's in the water, the fish uh, swallows him, he's in the fish for three days and three nights and then the fish spits him out on the dry land. But in between that, chapter number 2 records for us Jonah's prayer. And obviously we wouldn't know about this prayer had he not recorded it Obviously, we wouldn't have known any of this had Jonah not recorded it. But after all of these events had happened, he recorded it. And he says in chapter 2, verse number 9, there at the end of that prayer, the end of that uh, time in the fish, he ends with this sentence. And this is the key that we learned last week. Salvation is of the Lord. Will you say that with me again today one more time? Salvation is of the Lord. Remember, salvation or rescue comes from the Lord. And I think you would agree with me that this fish was God's rescue of Jonah. It really was. I want to talk to you about it for a few minutes. Let's begin by thinking together, and I want you to jot this down in your notes, by thinking together about the fact that in this fish we see God's great mercy to Jonah. Now it may not sound like mercy to you to be swallowed by a whale, But in Jonah's situation, this fish is in fact the salvation of the Lord. And it is God's great mercy to Jonah. Remember, Jonah's floating out in the sea. He's been cast overboard. The ship has now sailed away. And he's out there in the ocean in the middle of the Mediterranean by himself. He's away from everything. He's lost everything. His decisions have separated him from everyone. He's probably thinking about his wife and his children, I presume he had. He's probably thinking about his people whom he dearly loves, the people of Israel. 
And he's wishing that he could be with them again. He's away from his God. And he's AWOL on his call. He's fled from the commission that God has given him. And the fact that he's floating out in this water away from all of those people, the fact that he is that he's suffering alone and about to drown in the ocean, do you know whose fault it is? It's his. He can blame nobody but himself. Every step that he took, every decision that he made from the time God gave him the command to go to Nineveh, every decision that he made landed him exactly where he was. He was as far from where he ought to be as he could possibly be. And he had nobody to blame but himself. Think about it. He had, I mentioned, he had rebelled against God's command. God had clearly told him what to do and he said, I'm not going to do it. No. Secondly, he rejected God's wisdom or God's ways. God said to him, go to Nineveh and preach and he didn't think that was a good idea. Remember, he knew from the prophecies of Hosea and Amos that the Ninevites would lead the way in sacking Israel some years in the future. He didn't want them to get the the word of God. He didn't want them to be forgiven. He thought he knew better than God knew. So he disobeyed. He rebelled against God's command. He rejected God's ways or his wisdom. Number three, he ran away from God's presence. That's what chapter 1 verse 3 says. He rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went to get away from God's presence. He was saying, I'm not going to serve you anymore. And number four, he persisted in this rebellion. I mean, think about the multiplied decisions that he made. God says, go this way. He says, I'm not going to do it. He packs his bags. He starts toward Joppa. He makes it to Joppa. He finds a boat. He pays the fare for the boat. He gets on the boat. He goes down in the hull of the boat. The boat begins to sail away. He is persisting in his rebellion. Anywhere along the way, he could have stopped and said, what am I doing? Lord, I'm sorry. I will obey you. But he just kept on persisting. So he rebelled and he rejected and he ran and he continued to run. Now let me ask you a question. How many of us today, our lives could be described like that? We have rejected God's commands for us and we have have rejected God's ways. We thought we knew better than God and we've decided that we will do what we want because God doesn't know. And we've run from him. We've fled from him. And we have made decision after decision after decision to persist in that rebellion. And like Jonah, the circumstances of life that you find yourself in, the emptiness in your heart, the disappointments that you feel in your own self when you close your eyes at night and put your head on your pillow because of your defiance and your rebellion and your running and your persisting in that, the disappointment that you feel in yourself and the shame that you secretly carry, all of these things witness to your sin. And they witness to the foolishness of your ways. But listen to me. Let me tell you what Jonah learned in the cold waters of the Mediterranean. If y'all are listening, shout amen. Here's what he learned. 
that no matter how far you run, no matter what you've done, no matter what your rejection is, God is ever merciful. Somebody will say, praise God. He's ever merciful. And when we run from him because he's merciful, he will pursue us and he will come to you just like he came to Jonah. And he did come to Jonah. This is what Lamentations promises us. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. His faithfulness is great. I want you to think about what God did for Jonah after his rebellion, after his rejection, after his running, after his persisting, after all of those decisions. Look what God did for Jonah. Two things, write them down. Number one, he provided him with a miraculous rescue. And it was. There was no way he was getting out of that ocean. He was going to drown for sure, and God rescued him. Maybe, listen, maybe you're thinking, look at the situation I'm in. I've made these bad decisions. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this. I guess I'm just stuck. No, you're not. Because God can provide a miraculous rescue. Number two, He called Jonah back. He restored him to his life's purpose. I love chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, The Lord spake unto the fish, and the, the fish vomited out, spit out Jonah upon the dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, I can't believe what you've done. Where have you been? How could you dare? He didn't say any of those things. He said, Arise, (laughs) go to Nineveh and preach. Do you love this? He just puts him right back on track and calls him back to his original purpose. Praise God. That's the grace of God. You may be saying, God would never use me. I've gone so far. I've done so much. I've failed so miserably. I've been away for so long. I could not be used by God. Have you ever thought that the grace of God might take your sin and use it to qualify you even greater for ministry? This is God's grace to Jonah after all of Jonah's sins. He provided this rescue and he restored him to his life's purpose. Well, Jonah, in this, out in the sea, and then in this belly of this whale, begins to pray. Which, by the way, is good, right? Because he hadn't been praying much since chapter 1, verse 1. He's only been running. And now he begins to pray. Let's talk about Jonah's prayer for salvation. The Bible says in chapter 2 and verse number 1 that Jonah begins to call out to the Lord out of his anguish, out of his trouble. Verse one, number 1 of chapter 2 says, Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. But look at chapter uh, 2 and verse 3. That verse says, for you had, ca- I'm sorry, not chapter 2, verse 2. And he, he said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, I cried. Now, the word hell is the Hebrew word sheol, and it means the underworld, or it means death, or the place of the dead. Verse number 1 says, I prayed from the belly of the fish. Verse number 2 says, I prayed from the belly of death. 
Here's a question for you. I want you to consider it. In fact, this would be a great life group question for you to to discuss this week when you get to your life group. Did Jonah live in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights and then was spit out on dry land alive? Or did Jonah die and was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights and then he was spit out on dry land and God raised him from the dead? You ever thought about that? There's a lot of debate about this, and I think it's an intriguing question. Let me begin to give you my answer to it by, first of all, saying to you, either one would be a mighty miracle. Amen? If God provided a fish where Jonah could live inside that fish's belly for three days and three nights, that's a bona fide miracle. You say, could God really do that? Could God really Put Jonah inside a fish. Where, listen, if God wanted to, he could create a fish where Jonah would live for three days and three nights and get room service every morning. If God wanted to do that, he could do that. But is that what he did? Can God raise the dead? Of course he can. He's done it many times and he did it before Jonah and he's done it since Jonah. So, so did he live there for three days or did he die there? Well, I believe that Luke 16 indicates that prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, that it was possible for people who had died and were in Sheol, that they could pray to the Lord. We know in the story of Luke 16 that the rich man who died called out to Father Abraham from the place of the dead. So it's not an impossibility that Jonah could have prayed from Sheol. Now, the truth is, we don't know if he died or if he lived there alive for three days. But I tend to believe that he died and God raised him from the dead. Now, you may disagree with that, and that's okay, because I don't know for sure. But I tend to believe that he died and that God raised him from the dead. Here's why I believe that. It's because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 11. Go read it later. It's called the sign of Jonah. And the only prophet that, that Jesus ever mentioned as the prophet who would represent, whose life would be a type, or life and death, would be a type of Jesus' death and resurrection was Jonah. Matthew 12, Luke 11, Jesus said to the Pharisees, an evil and adulterous nation, look for a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. As Jonah was, so shall the Son of Man be. I also know that in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 30, I think, Jesus said that Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites. Not just to Jesus' generation, but to the Ninevites. And think about it. Think about the repentance that we'll see in chapter 3 when the Ninevites hear Jonah's preaching and they repent miraculously. It's a city-wide revival in a moment. How'd that happen? I'm of the persuasion it happened in part because they knew they were listening to the preaching of a man raised from the dead. Now you say, Pastor, you're all wet. Well, so was Jonah. And we we can ask Jonah when we get to heaven, which is the case. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because in either case, it is a type of the death and resurrection of Jesus. What does matter is that 
Jonah prayed, in fact, and the content of his prayer matters. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. It says that he cried uh, unto the Lord, verses 1 and 2, in his affliction. He prayed during his time of trouble. When you come to verse number 3, it tells us down through verse number 6 that he prayed honestly about his condition. I mean, read it, verse number 3. You cast me into the deep. I was in the midst of the seas. The waves were compassing me about. All of your billows and your waves were passing over me. I said I am cast out of your sight. Verse number five, the waters compassed me about even to the soul. It means to death. The depth closed in about me. The seaweed wrapped around my head. I was going down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was above me forever. Yet you have brought my life up from corruption. From death, it means. You have brought my life up from corruption, he says. Now, Jonah's praying honestly. He knows that salvation is of the Lord. He's in such a horrible condition. There's no one that can rescue him but the Lord. But he also prayed in faith. Look at verse number 4, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. God, I know you're going to hear me. He says in verse number seven, my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. He prayed in faith. And he also prayed in repentance. Look at verse number nine. At the end of verse number nine, he says, I will pay what I have vowed. I will do what I said I would do. I'll keep my commitments to you, Lord. This is repentance. I mean, imagine this, Jonah in the water, swallowed by the whale, going down to the depths, the billows passing over him. And he says, God, I'm, I'm a broken mess. I've put myself here. I'm so far from you. But God, I believe that you hear me and I know you're going to hear my prayer. He prays in faith, but he says, God, I will turn back to you and I will do what you said. The formula by which Jonah prayed is a model for all of us. Write it down. There are three parts to his prayer. Number one, he prayed with conviction. He prayed with conviction. He was honest about his brokenness. He, he didn't blame the mariners. He, did, he wasn't out bobbing in the ocean or, or, or going down in the belly of the fish saying, those sorry fishermen. <laughs> I can't believe they couldn't overcome the winds. I can't believe they would actually throw me overboard. He wasn't blaming them. He wasn't blaming God. He wasn't saying, God, if you hadn't told me, you know what he's just doing? He's saying, God, I'm wrong. I've, I've, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. That's conviction. Number two, he prayed in faith. He believed. God, my, your, my prayer's gonna come before you. I, your pray, my prayer will come into your holy temple. He believed that God was his only hope, that salvation was of the Lord, and that God would be his helper. And then he prayed in repentance. He said, I'm going to turn back to my vows. I'm going, to, I'm going to stop running from you, and I'm going to do what you told me to do. Jonah prayed with conviction. He prayed with faith, and he prayed in repentance. And by the way, this formula for prayer, for rescue, was the same formula that the Ninevites had to follow. Because when Jonah went to Nineveh and he began to preach, and you watch the response of the Ninevites, it's the same thing, conviction, conviction and faith and repentance. 
You see it in chapter 3, verse number 5 and verse number 8, where they sit in sackcloth and ashes. They, they put on sackcloth. They sit in ashes. They, they admit in verse number 8 of chapter 3 that they are evil and violent. They pray from conviction. We're sinners. We've been wrong. They pray in faith. Chapter 3, verse number 5 says that Jonah went and he preached and the people believed him. They believed God. Verse number 5. And then the Bible says in verse number eight that they cried mightily unto the Lord and they turned. Look at chapter three, verse eight. Cry mightily unto the Lord and let every man turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Jonah was floating around in the ocean. He was being swallowed up by fish and he knew that his only hope was in the Lord. So he admitted his sin. He prayed in faith and he turned from his evil ways. The Ninevites knew nothing about God. But the prophet shows up eventually and he preaches the truth to them. And they confess their sin. And they believe God's word. And they turn from their evil ways. You see, the formula for Jonah's prayer made the difference in his life. And the formula of the Ninevites' response in their prayer made the difference in their lives as well. And you need to hear this pastor today. This formula works for us today. And it's the only formula that works for us today. In the same way, that you and I must be honest that we will, we will never be transformed until we stop blaming everyone and everything else. And still we, until we stop rationalizing and justifying our sin and just say, you know what? I'm a sinner. It's me. I'm the problem. I'm responsible. That's conviction. And then we must, like Jonah and like the Ninevites, pray in faith. Believe God's word. Believe that God is our hope and he will be our helper. That he will send salvation to us because Jesus loves us and died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we trust it by faith. And then we pray in repentance. We say, God, I don't want to keep living the way I've always lived and just ask you to bless me in my sin. No, I want to turn from that and turn to you. That's repentance. And when we pray in conviction and we pray in faith and we pray in repentance, then the salvation that comes from the Lord comes to us. And so let me just close by asking you this question. Which one of these two might you be like? The Ninevites? Well, you don't know God. You don't know Christ as your Savior. You're not a, you're not a Christian, you don't have any certainty that you're going to heaven. You're just living life, doing what you do. And yet, you know that you're a sinner. And you're willing to admit that. And you believe that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. You believe that he will be your savior. And you're willing to turn from your life and give your life to Christ. If that's you, then pray that prayer. Put your faith and trust in him. And be rescued like Jonah was rescued. Or like the Ninevites were rescued. Or maybe we're more like Jonah. We've known the Lord. We've served the Lord. But for a season, maybe weeks, maybe months, for a season, you have rejected his word and his commands and you've run from him and you've decided you know better and you've persisted in it. And now you find yourself in a situation like Jonah was. And you just need to stop and say, I'm the one at fault. I'm the sinner. God, forgive me. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to live, I want to come home. 
And I believe you, Lord, that you'll be my help and my hope. And I'm coming home to you. If it worked for Jonah, it'll work for you. If it worked for the Ninevites, it'll work for you. Because the God who is the Lord of salvation to Jonah and the Ninevites is the Lord of salvation to me and you today as well. You may be thinking that your current situation, whatever it is, your current secret sin, your your current shame that you feel or disappointment in yourself because of your sin, or your current situation that God has put you in out of your sin, you may think it's just the wrath and the judgment of God and he's angry at you. But maybe, maybe it's a fish that he sent to swallow you up so you would come back to him.